It's the Seth Williams Show with Mike Kizoka. And here's your host, Seth Williams and Mike Kizoka. Everybody is on the chair. Everybody, at the, you know, uh, go, going to uh, the, uh, you know, my mind's going blank now. What's happening? What, what, I can't remember. I'm going to lose track. My mind's going blank now. What are you talking about? What the hell's going on here? Where the hell are you? My mind's going blank now. I can't remember. I don't know what the hell he's talking about. What am I doing here? My mind's going blank now. Where am I headed? I keep forgetting I'm present. Where am I? No idea. Last night, I was on a television. A television. I was on a telephone. Rapidly rising uh, 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 in with, uh, with uh, I don't know. COVID has taken more than 100 years. Look, here's why it's reflected in the A-A-N-A-N-H-E-I. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was in the foot in the British season, the only gotten gains of Putin's autocracy. Yeah. NATO's purpose is defend against aggression. Let me make that near and dear to you that you uh, um, would like to be able to... Anyway. I'm... My mind's going blank now. Boys are boys from the beginning. If you were born a boy, you stay a boy. Girls are girls right from the start. If you were born a girl, you stay a girl and grow up to be a lady. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy. And so is mine. Only girls can be the mommies. Only boys can be the daddies. Welcome to another Monday evening. Hi. Put a, a lot of work into that Biden song. And I'll tell you what, that's like two and a half minutes long. I cut it off in a minute. <laughs> but uh, somebody did, uh, did a lot of work for that. That was pretty entertaining stuff. Uh, welcome to Monday. It's uh, winter. This is a repeat because it's winter time outside. Every week has all four seasons. I've been saying that for four months, and it's just. I was sitting outside uh, just a little bit ago, and it started to hail and snow while yeah. I was sitting on my patio. I mean, I have a cold, uh, probably because the, the weather is the way that it's been. But so I decided I'm already sick. I might as well sit outside for a little bit and enjoy the. Uh, the ice cold breeze, and it was snowing and hailing as I'm sitting there. <laughs> I took my garbage out last night around nine nine thirty, and it was forty eight degrees. The high today was forty seven. Nine o'clock last night, it was warmer than all day today when the sun was out. That yeah. didn't make any sense at all. Uh, James, good to be back. Missed the last few weeks. Good to have you back, James. He didn't miss much, just a lot of arguing, yelling. So we're going to try not to do that tonight and enjoy our evening. Um, we have, uh, the real John King. Why does he call himself the real John King? We can ask him. I wondered that too. All right. I mean, uh, when I me. met him, when I met him 25 years ago, he was the only John King in the room. It's not like I was confused. Yeah. <laughs> But I guess John King is kind of a, uh, I guess a uh, common name. Common name. I'm like, yeah. I had an uncle, John King. 
um, is no longer with us, but he is uh, a good guy. So the, I guess there are all the other John Kings out there. So I wonder if there's any relation to Kenny. Do you remember Kenny King? I do remember Kenny King. That was uh, Colonel Sanders. That was KFC before KFC. Yeah, I uh, I went to see a comedy show the other night at the Funny Stop. Now this is a hell of a story. Dave Landau was in town. Now, I wasn't as familiar with Dave as a lot of people are. I mean, I've seen some of his stuff, but I've never really seen a lot of his stand-up stuff. Right. You know, I've seen him on TV on occasion, and you know, he's a funny guy, really funny guy, Dave Landau. But he was at the Funny Stop all weekend long. But on Thursday night, he did something kind of different. He did a... Uh, kind of a meet and greet kind of with the crowd, if you will, where he would talk to the crowd, see what's going on with the crowd, ask them questions, and then kind of be funny off of what you know they would were saying. And then, you know, he at the end of the show, people would ask him questions and you know, it kind of went back and forth. Right. So it wasn't a typical stand-up routine, it was more off the cuff going back and forth with the uh crowd. And I will say it was fucking hysterical, like really, really funny stuff. And, but one, one thing, he, I mean, there was a lot of great points in, in, in this routine, but it wasn't routine. It was just talking to the crowd. But at one point he talked to this couple, a married couple. And he's like, how, how did you guys meet? You know, the whole, you know, back and forth routine. And they're like, oh, we met online. And he's like, well, what site did you meet on? And it wasn't like plenty of fish. It wasn't, you know. E harmony, good Christian people talking about you know, meeting each other, and they wouldn't say, but he kept pushing and kept pushing, and eventually gets it out of him that it was some sort of a kink kind of website. And he said, "Well, what was it? What kind of fetish do you guys have that you came together on? You know, to to end up getting married and be right. together forever." A rape fantasy is what they were into with each other. Okay. It took the entire crowd off guard, of course, because I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, each each zone, I don't know. Yeah, but that's... I've never thought about that. I mean, I've never called you, Mike, and said, hey, Mike, you want to come over here? I got yeah. this thing I need done. <laughs> this is uh, certainly a fetish that you cannot... Whisper your safe word. Yeah, so it was uh, it was interesting. It was interesting to say the least when these people were you know, talking about their uh, their little fantasy. <laughs> Yoy. Uh, but yeah, it was a, that was a fun show. I mean, that's the kind of comedy that I kind of like. Is that not everything was done with every joke written out, ready to right. go for the entire night. It right. was just kind of going off of what people were saying, and I thought it was. Uh, hysterical. He was a nice guy. I got to meet him after the show. Our, our friend Chris Aiken actually does his website. Oh, wow. And does a really great job with that. I mean, he does a lot of great stuff, a lot of great with all the websites and uh, that he does. And he, it's kind of cool that he does that. Dave is a great guy and a good golfer from Jay. Well, hi, Seth and Mike. Great to see you and hear you both today. Love you guys. Good to hear from you too, Natalie. So yeah, it, that was a fun show. That was you know hanging out there. I haven't been to the funny stop. I don't think in forever. 
to be honest. Let me ask you, did you eat order any food from there? I did not. I ate let before. Tell you, and anybody that's listening, a couple things. First of all, I'll be there Wednesday. I'll be there Wednesday at 8 o'clock. I got a call from the Akron Comedy Festival and they asked me to do a spot down there. So after we finish our show, I'm going to go out and do a spot in Cuyahoga Falls. But if you ever go out there to see a show, I don't care who you see. Uh, uh, Pete owns the place, but his brother Tony in the kitchen. Oh, my God. They turn out some pork chops that are worth going there just to eat pork chops. I mean, they the menu pretty looked pretty good. good. Yeah. Their food's really good. And it's, you know, for club food, it's it's good food. Um, I did check it. We ate it on tap down there before we went to. Uh, okay. And that's pretty good, pretty tasty stuff. But when I got there, the menu is pretty extensive for being a club like that. Did you, you take, well, you're familiar out there because you've got family and. Yeah. Uh, you've been, um, you and Heather both are familiar with that side of the county uh, or the of the state. Um, did you take route eight and get off by broad street in the river area? Cause that is a pretty up and coming place. They have put a lot of money in there. There's some great clubs. There's some yeah. good restaurants. There's some outdoor patios. So well, all I'm saying is if you ever want to go out there, folks, people go, well, you know, it's a 25 minute ride out there. Yeah. But there's so much to do once you get there, you could leave at four in the afternoon and, you know, hit a bar, have a really nice dinner, see a really good show. And then, uh, Chicago Falls is a long ride home from a date if you guys like each other. Chicago Falls is actually a really nice area. Um, it is. They have a Sheridan Hotel right down there by uh, a lot of those restaurants and stuff. Um, it's, a, yeah, it's a great little area. A lot of stuff to do down there. It wasn't like that for a while, but they put a nice little amphitheater in there. They've done a, yep. lot, of, a lot of great stuff down there. So, yeah, it's really nice. But, yeah, the uh, the club. is uh, Pete, you said, is the owner? or? Yeah, Pete runs the place. It's been his... He, he, I'll tell you, he 20, 25, 30 years, he's been in the business. It used to be Hilarities in Akron. Yeah. But then when Her uh, uh, Hilarities, when Nick Costas wanted to just concentrate on the uh, great club he built, as a matter of fact, it's our backdrop is East 4th Street. Pickwick and Frolic is now Hilarities. Uh, but when he decided to consolidate, Pete said, I'll buy my share out and keep the club open. Couldn't had to change the name, but Pete's been uh, supporting comedians and launching careers down there since uh, the days of Steve Harvey, when he was just starting out, he'd been around yeah. a long time. Does he speak a lick of English or is that <laughs> uh, a lick? Of, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and anybody that's ever been on that stage and hasn't like mocked the announcements part of the show. Yeah, it but, was, uh, his heart's in the right place. That's oh, you seem like a great even though guy. his accents off. Um, some of the openers were, uh, I guess, pretty good. I mean, yeah, Cleveland's got yeah, some local well, talent and stuff that is pretty entertaining. You know, we can, the, the we funny can part, be honest. You know, he, that's another thing I give Pete credit for. Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. Um, a lot of people just starting out. A lot of you know people that are opening acts and working their way up to MC and stuff like that. But the thing about it is, uh, Seth, it is so hard to get stage time now as a comic. Back in the day, every Tuesday was amateur night. So if you were just starting out or just learning how to master your craft or write material or find your legs on stage, you could count on open mic night. But uh, 
you know, now with the two drink minimum and the ticket prices, they, they're going to squeeze everything they want out of that. And the, you usually get a better show, but Pete uh, still keeps that window open for comics that are just starting out. Do they have a two drink minimum there? I think yeah. I got away with it because I got a, a, a water. Yeah. <laughs> a, a bottled water. So I guess it wasn't like a free right. water. Right. And my wife didn't get anything, but maybe they felt bad for me because they had just like the one leg kind of thing going on. Here's the handicapped guy going into a show and we're not going to charge him. Um, but it was, it was a good time. That was, a, it was, it was a really cool place and a lot of fun to actually see some comedy. I felt bad for the openers because they all looked like they had the same watch on and like every joke that they told, they'd be looking down at their wrist going, is it over yet? Yeah. Or how much time do I have left? Because you could tell when some of them were running out of steam, like some of them, they opened up like really strong with some really good jokes. And then towards the end of their five, six minutes, whatever they have up there. Right. Like, All right, uh, maybe I'll try to squeeze one more in. And there was like nothing going on. You could, hear, the, you could hear what the sound the walls were making because they, yeah. they started out really good. And we're like, All right. Well, it's like anything. You know, when you're doing really, really well, two hours goes by, feels like 15 minutes. But if you're not doing really, really well, that 15 minutes seems like two hours. Yeah. You know, it's the other way around. But again, like I said, he's a it's a great portal into the business. Oh, yeah. He's been really supportive. He, uh, you know, he's put the money back into the club since the last time you were there. He's remodeled, painted, you know, that kind of stuff and things. And it's a good crowd down there. Uh, Cleveland's always been, a, and the Cleveland area has always been a really good comedy city because here, if you get, make plans, get a date, go out, make the drive, have dinner, buy a few drinks, you came out to have a good time. It's not like you're in New York or LA where everybody sits there with their arms crossed and says, okay, we've seen everybody, loser, prove it to me. Now, you know, here the audience wants you to succeed. How tough is it to break into the comedy world, like big comedy world? So, I mean, you got these guys up there doing their five-minute little opening sets or whatever they're doing. I mean, one guy just spent five minutes literally talking about going, taking a dump in the bathroom there. Um, but so how tough is it for an up-and-comer to break into the business? I think we've had some of the parallels on this show when we interview the uh, bands. The days of playing clubs live, maybe being the opening act in a, in a traveling show and, and getting some recognition, getting an album deal. Now, you know, with everybody uh, recording five minute songs on Spotify one at a time, you know, you have a hit or you have a video, you don't have an album, you don't have a show, you don't have, and there aren't a lot of places to go on tour and make that kind of money and do the investment. So I sit here fascinated when we interview and you ask guys stuff about the early days of radio and the, the way music used to be comedies a lot in a lot of ways. Comedy's the same thing. Comedy's the same way. Um, I'm finding too, you know, there's an awful lot of people, you know, I, uh, for as many places as I played for as many years, I've been in the business. There's all kinds of people that are, 20 something that I walk in and they have no idea and they don't and club owners, it's the same thing. So I'm starting out all over again and proving my stuff and working from the ground up. Is May night the, uh, the charity night there? 
Uh, yes. Are we from tomorrow? Yes, I will be there. Um, I'm going to be there uh, just for a short set Wednesday night and then Tuesday for the um, uh, East Palestine show. And I'm hoping to make it uh, down there to that one. I think uh, I think that's going to be fun. So, like, when you were starting out a- as a comic back in the day, I'm going to assume that would be, what, the early 80s? Mid-80s. Mid-80s? Mid-80s. Yeah. Uh, with the you know with Sam Kinison and that kind of thing, like how tough was it to get in, or were you just what what did you start doing before you ended up becoming like a comic with Sam of all people? Well, the comedy store was the portal into the business. You got hired if you got hired as a doorman at the comedy store. You had to work there every night, five o'clock till three in the morning, and what you did as the doorman is you sat the room. Now, there were three clubs in the club. The original room, the main room, and the belly room was upstairs. But you would seat the main room, and it didn't pay but 20 bucks a night. We made our money seating the room Las Vegas style, which meant people with tips got to sit up front, and you never knew who was going to be in the main room that night because in the day, Dangerfield, Robin Williams, uh, you know, it, uh, Sam, uh, Rodney Dangerfield, everybody would do time there. Everybody that was in town, it was LA. Anybody that was working on new material. When Richard Pryor, before he put his comeback album out after he had the accident, he was there like every night working on new jokes and working on stuff. And, you know, Jimmy Walker used to go up there with notes and, and write stuff on stage. That didn't work. And, uh, so everybody used it as kind of like a laboratory. The reason why we put up with being doorman is because with 30, 40 comics set to go up that night, because you only did 10 minute sets, a lot of comics, because it was the mid 80s, were a little drunk or a little high or weren't there or with a waitress someplace or busy. Let's put it this way. They were busy. So they would miss their set. And three, you know, three uh, names down the line. If so-and-so wasn't there yet, you kept your eyes open. And if he wasn't in the building when it, his name was called, if you were a doorman, you could run up and do his time. So that's how you got made. And Mitzi would sit there and watch the shows. And after a couple times of, you know, learn it, so she'd pull you over and make you a regular. And then you were part of the rotation. You got scheduled, and that was your way into show business. And then from there, somebody from Carson uh would invite you to the tonight show that was the ladder of success back in the day now mitzi was that was that paulie shore's mom uh, yes absolutely paulie was just a little boy we, i mean we used to babysit him that's a, that's unbelievable. that's pretty cool yeah so like who are the guys that you would hang out with at, at the club like who are the up-and-comers when it was walker and prior well, and danger walker was there who who were the up-and-comers when you were doing it? Um, a lot of guys that um, have um, that turned out to be uh, writers. Oda Kirk and uh, um, uh, guys that wrote for Seinfeld and guys that wrote for Saturday Night Live. Uh, uh, um, you name it. There wasn't anybody that was performing that you know, didn't hang out there and not, not only on stage, but in the back 
there was a driveway that nobody knew about. And that's where the comics parked their cars. And that's where we'd stand around outside and uh, pass a joint around and talk about, <laughs> talk about your actor, talk about stuff that they'd heard you say on stage. I had George Kirby tell me, bring your own, if you're going to hit, once you go out on the road, make sure to bring your own shit. Because for those of you that don't know, George Kirby got arrested in the 50s and did some time because he was in a town in Alabama and asked somebody to go buy him something. And the guy went and told the police and he got busted for it. So you, you learned all the ins and outs of the business. Did you know Hal Spear? Uh, no. I think he wrote for like Arsenio and he did a couple of sitcom stuff. I actually, uh, but he was a comedian, I think back in that kind of yeah. era. Our city yeah. was there. Paul Mooney was there. Paul Mooney wrote a lot of uh, for uh, Eddie Murphy. House House actually gave me his coffee table. <laughs> Did he? It was like this big marble coffee table. The thing had to be worth a ton of money. It was a gorgeous marble block, and it was beautiful. And my wife made me get rid of it because we had our daughter, and it had corners on the end that were sharp, and she didn't want my daughter to yeah. get hit in the head. But I was so pissed. I was like, "What are you doing?" Um, let's see here we got some questions for you so let's uh sure um mike ever tried to be a comedy writer no actually i have not um i really i i worked 40 45 weeks a year uh when i was on the road and then i quit um when i started practicing law and i didn't do any comedy except charity stuff to raise money for uh, causes here in in Cleveland, and now that I'm not doing any uh, law at all, um, I want to get back to going back out on the road. And then I left a year before Sam got killed. I left the Outlaws because, quite honestly, we had all kinds of opportunities. We had all kinds of auditions. We had all kinds of people interested in projects. But people wanted to did did it did it did it, but we never made it to any of them because a couple members of the outlaws wouldn't go to bed till five o'clock in the morning, and we slept through all the meetings. I am very fortunate. I'll be real honest. I do not have an addictive personality. I could party, but the next day, if there was anything to party with, I was okay with that too. Some people were a nervous wreck until it was party time again. So I decided I would make a move and go to Florida. And I moved to Florida right about the year that everybody that had a club in Florida put their club up their nose. And one summer or one winter, I was booked for a week in Atlanta at the Funny Bone there. And it snowed in Atlanta. It snowed this much. It snowed that much <laughs> in Atlanta. And the whole hit city shut down. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> and they closed the club. They said, well, we can't, you know. Uh, we're not going to put you up. Nobody's going to come out. The, what's, it might snow again this week. And, uh, da, 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 da. and I hung up the phone. I went, son of a... Because there's, you know, X amount of dollars out the window. And I got a call from an agent that had been coming to see me at the comedy store. And he said, well, you're not going to Atlanta. Do you want to... Uh, you want to go uh, work a cruise ship to the Bahamas? Yeah, okay. I'll do that. <laughs> And I did eight years on the ships. So, so was what was pretty... it like working with Sam? Like, what was he like, Sam, <coughs> Kenne Sam Kennison? What was it like working with him when he wasn't on stage and on stage? What was he like? Pretty powerful dude. Pretty deep. 
Hell of a soul, hell of an imagination. You know, everybody knows he was a Pentecostal preacher. He was a full-blown, he would have been just as amazing if he'd have stayed at that too. Because his dad was a preacher. But anyway, I got to be friends with Sam because one night he and I started talking about uh, things that happened in Gethsemane. And the question was, what was it that made Jesus come this close to going, that's it, that's, uh, no, no, I'm not doing it. And that discussion took three days uh, at his house uh, on and off for three. And by the time the thing was over, he, and he liked a lot of the humor I did when I got back off the cruise ships because I was talking about real life. So, but he had a great sense of humor. He was pretty powerful. He was half man, half party. And here's the metaphor that nobody knows about. Because you work radio. You know what it was like when MMS says so-and-so is coming to town. Just imagine Sam Kinison, the outlaws of comedy, are coming to Detroit on Tuesday. We're going to show them the best party anybody's ever seen. So we would get to Detroit. Everything was free. Everybody that shook Sam's hand put something in it. We'd party in the green room. We'd party after the show. Um, we'd drink like there was no tomorrow. Everybody in Detroit and everybody at the radio station for the whole rest of the week. Oh, my God. I'm still hungover. I'm still high. That was an amazing party. Can you believe that party was just, we showed him. No, you didn't. Because the next night, we were in Cincinnati doing the same damn thing. So where every city did their once-in-a-year party, we had six of them a week. That sounds, that sounds amazing, point. though. Well, Or did it get old? No, well, it, it didn't get old for, for a few years, but that's what made me decide to move to Florida and uh, see if I could go out you know, on my own. I actually, it was kind of cool because... I had a serious talk with Sam the night I told him I was leaving the outlaws and he looked at me and he points over his shoulder and there's a whole house full of, you know, entourage type just hanging out and hanging on. And he looked at me and he said, you know, dude, I've helped an awful lot of comics. No one has ever looked at me and said, thanks, bro, for all your help. I'm going to take what you taught me and go out on my own. He said, you're the first comic to just like go out on his own. Give me a big hug. And then the next year for his birthday, I went back in that Life magazine picture of uh, JFK sitting on the edge of the bed and, and Bobby sitting on the edge of the bed and leaning over. It was taken during the Cuban Missile Crisis. I got an original of that and gave it to him for his birthday. And that was way cool. Uh, Were you around when he passed? I was I was in Florida when he passed. It took me a day to get there. I mean, I was there for the services and all of that stuff and things. But uh, Sam had his own personality. Robin was um, Robin was brilliant. Everybody knows that. But Robin had the same gift Milton Berle had. Milton Berle had a photographic memory. Now, this is a true story. We're sitting upstairs because there was a balcony in the improv. And it was political back then. If you played the comedy story, you couldn't play the improv because Mitzi and Bud Friedman, who owned the improv, were, 
not exactly best friends. And they each had their stable of comics. Well, we had gone over to see Robin because, you know, only a few people, Robin Williams, Bill Hicks, Sam Kinison, they could play both clubs. They were bigger than big. Dice Clay, they could play both clubs. But we're sitting there having pizza, and Robin told this story about how he got dicked around that night with an agent and shows and the money that was promised. Yeah, Robin Williams is telling the story about how the agent tried to pull a fast one on him, and he caught the agent. So everybody's sitting there. Nobody knew what to say. I looked at Robin and I said, well, you know, bottom line is joke them if they can't take a fuck. And he laughed. <laughs> I saw him three months later at Universal Amphitheater. He closed his show with that joke. Wow. <laughs> so I mean, it was pretty cool to hear that. But by the same token, what I'm saying is he was he never forgot a thing. Every other comic knows that all day long, shit pops into your head. You don't have a pen. You don't remember it. You don't write it down. It comes and goes. But he just, uh, the other guy that was amazing, and I would put in Robin Williams' class, I think the two of them were the most alike, was Jonathan Winters. Jonathan Winters, same thing. Amazing characters, voices, concepts, fast, improv, all of that kind of stuff went with Sam to Robin or to uh, um, uh, um, who am I talking about? To Jonathan Winter's house. His wife opens the door. We come in. She goes, "He's in there." And we open up the door to this room that is like ballroom size, dining room kind of thing. Whatever furniture's in there. Anyway, the room is full of model trains set up everywhere, all kinds of model train setups and stuff like that. Robin Williams is on his knees on the floor playing with one of the engines. And we walk in and Robin looks up and says, $10,000 worth of trains in here. And can you believe she won't let me play with them? <laughs> Shakes his head and goes back to playing with his trains. <laughs> the same kind of characters, you know, the, he, they they were gifted. Sam had a really serious side too. The other thing though about Sam was that is amazing. Um, as much as the eighties were what the eighties were as far as uh, partying, I could never do that on stage. Sam could wake up. Sam, Sam, get up, Sam, Sam. They're in it, and he would hear the music. Ladies and gentlemen, come to the stage, and he'd like stand up, look around, shake his hair, walk out on stage and destroy an audience walk back off the stage go right back to sleep he was <laughs> phenomenal at being able to do that kind of stuff now what were guys like robin williams and winners and kennison like is everybody always on or are they actually no like normal no. people when they're sitting behind the stage there are a couple of things about comics in a circle or in a room or at a party together Comedians don't sit around and laugh hysterically at everybody else's material. What a comic will do is sit there, and if you come up with something brilliant, just like shake their head, look at you and say, that's funny. And that means as much as getting every one of them to like laugh and pee themselves and stuff like that. Because you got to understand with a comic, especially if it's a brilliant joke, which means it's right there everywhere and nobody else but you got it. 
So there's that little half of you that goes, wow, that's really good. And then the other half wonders, why didn't I think of that? Because it's right there. I'll give, I'll give you an example. It's a joke I can't even do anymore. When I moved back to Cleveland, one of the things I started doing on stage was the following joke. I go to an Indians game. There's runners on second and third. Manny Ramirez on his way up to the plate. And the organist plays. That's the cavalry charge. We are the Indians. And the audience would laugh at that because nobody else ever sat at the ball game and said, they're playing the cavalry charge, we're the Indians. And <laughs> saw the irony in that. So it's that kind of stuff. I said hello to Johnny Carson. I didn't know him. I didn't meet him. And that's why I don't have a Johnny Carson set in my resume. As a matter of fact, he quit right, right when it was like make or break. And then, like I said, and you asked, you asked Pete down in hilarious Pete at the funny stuff still bust my chops. He said, you should have never quit, dude. You were right there. You should have never quit. But that's why I still go back to Pete's club. Question for Mike. How long should a comic try before understanding that they just don't have it? Uh, one of the comics Thursday had a well-developed set but wasn't good. How do you know when to quit? For a lot of comics, they don't. Uh, and again, I'm going to draw the parallel to music. And the reason why I think I can do that is when we, uh, when I toured with Sam, we would close the show with music. Um, the Wild Thing video that we did with Jessica Hahn, Google that, watch that. I'm in it. I'm in that video with everybody else in rock and roll in that video. That day, two, if not three of the musicians uh, came up to me and said, I don't know how you guys, meaning comics, do it. Uh, I go out there and play a stadium full of people, but I could never go out there by myself. I'm out there with the band. You guys just take a microphone and walk right out on stage. Now, okay, that's the musician's perspective. But the comics perspective is this. If you are any well-known, everybody knows band, you come out and you play the first three chords of it's only rock and roll, Sunday, bloody Sunday, we are the champions, you name it. And any song, any band plays the first three chords of their opening number and the whole stadium stands up with lighters. Ah! No joke is that funny. No comic has ever walked out in front of a stadium like the crowd behind you there and said, two guys walk and don't even get the rest of the sentence out in the whole stadium. <laughs> that doesn't happen to a comic. So it's kind of an interesting, you know. And the cool thing about the three years that we toured as the Outlaws is every city we were in, whoever was playing live joined the show Friday, Saturday night, and played the late show. We closed every one of those shows with music. So I got lucky and got to know, you know, uh, I saw the first time I saw Van Halen was at the Troubadour, and they were practicing because they were playing their prom the next week. Or I'm sorry, graduation. 
Dice did it with nursery rhymes. You know who else was brilliant? Stephen Wright. Yeah, I've heard. I mean, I like some of his stuff. He's got that kind of sense of humor. I, I kind of I dig. Yeah, you can just Google his list of one-liners or his list of jokes. It's just really good stuff. I mean, I don't understand some of the comics that are out there today. I didn't understand. I don't either. I can't remember what this one guy's name was. I don't. Is that why I don't like? I that's why I don't like that whole PC cancel culture. I am not. I am not half of what a lot of people think I am politically when it comes to the social crap as many times, and we're not going to go deep into this, but I have said, I, you know, the left and the right are wrong. we got to meet the, the left's thing is in the old days. For, well, let's start with this. The number one watch TV series still, well, maybe it's been passed. I don't know, but 20, 10 years ago, the number one TV show was still The Honeymooners with Ralph Cramden, who came home every week, made a fist and said, oh, one of these days, Alice, to the moon. And could you even pitch a show to HBO where the guy raised his fist and looked like he was going to punch his way? No, of course not. But you can see a 13-man daisy chain, full frontal nudity, take place in a prison, and that's okay. That you can watch on HBO, <laughs> but you can't tell a joke where, you know, somebody and, you know, Don, um, Don Rickles, people would go to his show. And if he didn't insult their ethnic group, they were pissed off that he, he overlooked them. Rickles, how, how could Don Rickles make it in today's? So I don't like an awful lot of comedy and I don't like an awful lot of the 99% of us having to walk around on eggshells so that 1% doesn't feel nervous or, you know, uncomfortable. I can't remember the damn name of the one guy. I just never understood. He was in a, a movie or some crappy movie, but I never understood. Taylor Dane. Dane? Yeah. Dane Cook. Never understood that Taylor guy. Cook. And, but like Kevin Hart, I can see doing like an actual stadium tour. Right. Seinfeld. I always liked Seinfeld the show. Yeah. But never really got his comedy necessarily, his stand-up. I, I thought it was kind of disappointing to me. Yeah. Um I, I don't I just don't understand how certain comics make it and certain comics just don't. It seems to be like a very tough field to get into. I mean, do comics rip off jokes and and what are they, I mean are they jealous well, of other comics? How does that work? In in the old days, that was a good way to end your career. Because uh, you weren't allowed to record. Nobody had cell phones. But I will tell you this. I would headline all over the country. And I would end up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And the guy who was the middle act featured for me in Boston. And I'd come out and hear a couple of my jokes. I would hear a lot of comics jokes on stage. Sam's attitude towards all that was... Uh, it's God's way of telling you to write new shit. <laughs> Somebody steals your joke, get rid of it. Let it go. Like everything of writing a book. I wanted to write a book about the stand-up part and the stuff the way cruise ships used to be and call it Ship Happens. I had the title, but not the book because, yeah, there's some pretty interesting... And I, I've said this on stage. I still say this on stage. Um, and this is where my faith comes in. I've been to all 50 states. 
50 times. I've been to 48 foreign countries. The more you travel, the more you realize we are a lot more alike than we are different. But the humbling thing as an American is when you get off the ship and you walk into port and you're in the city and you're on the street and these little kids will come <coughs> running up and you see them and they're all chattering away and you get that look on your face that makes them go, oh, you're an American, you only speak English. And then they start instantly speaking English because all the little kids all over the world know two, three, four, five languages. It's amazing. It's also kind of weird to go to Boston and see, you know, grave uh, graveyards with tombstones that have 1612, 1585 and go, oh, my God, look at the history. Look at this. How amazing is this? And then you go to Rome and you look up on the building that you're standing next to and the cornerstone says 947. 947. It's 600 years older than anything we've done here. So, yeah, there's an awful lot of stuff around the world that's... All the places you've been, you settled in Cleveland. Sorry about that. Uh, Worst huge-name comic that keeps getting giant gigs, Amy Schumer. Yeah. I never understood her either. I mean... There are an awful lot of people now that have careers that just need therapy. (laughs) Jim Brewer, underrated. Love him. Yeah. Um... You know, a lot of the outlaws that aren't any more famous than I am. I mean, Mitchell Walters, Alan Steven, Jimmy Schubert, Sparky. You know, those guys were all funny, still damn funny. Um, Carla Bow was Sam Kennison's best friend. He passed. Um, Bill Hicks. Boy, if you if you don't know who Bill Hicks is, Google him. Find it out. He... Uh, I often wonder when things come up or shit's in the news, you know, how those guys would think about some of the stuff that's going on now. But uh, that's why I'm here. I'm I'm going to. How how big was that tour back in the day? You, the Outlaws, and Sam. And... We were the third, <coughs> third largest grossing tour of the year behind uh, somebody else and Fleetwood Mac. The only difference being Fleetwood Mac did, I think, 48 dates that year. We did uh, 187. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a relative thing. Like I said, when I was talking about the the party of a lifetime uh, week, Monday through Friday. This is great. I mean, we got a lot of questions coming in. I'm going to keep asking. Them. Cool. Go right ahead. The thing that sucks, though, is you're going to have to ask the comedian coming up at five all the questions because I'm running out of them myself. Fair I'm enough. Like a real comedian. So, John's uh, a great guy. I want to talk to him. Mitch Hedberg. Um, don't know. know don't know him. Have you met George Carlin? Um, I met George Carlin. I I can't. I don't, you know, I don't have a long history with him. But George and Evan, you gotta you gotta understand, Sam was really cool. Everybody would come to see Sam. Everybody got invited to Sam's house. Everybody would go to Sam's parties. And Sam was really good about, oh, here's my outlaws. These are my guys. And introduce everybody to everybody. 
So it's not like, you know, we had to leave the room when famous people came over because we weren't Sam. Kent. We were just, we were just friends. That's, that's the way it was back then. Why did SNL stop producing elite comics slash movie stars? I agree. I mean, Sam, uh, SNL used to be like the shit back in the day. And now it, it is shit. It was. And it I don't, was. I don't understand it. I mean, the, the big, biggest star they have right now is a guy that was on Nickelodeon. I, mean, I know. I know. What do you think happened with SNL? I, you know, or you think it's just the comedy culture of today. Lauren Michaels kind of uh, screwed Sam over, and Sam actually, you know, was inebriated enough to screw Saturday Night Live over. So that didn't go as far as it would have, could have, and should have. I will tell you this, and if you think about it for a minute, you'll understand why. Michael Keaton played Beetlejuice. Had the lead in Beetlejuice. They wanted Sam for that. That would have been a perfect vehicle for Sam. But you gotta sober up enough to go to the shit, to get the shit. Man, it's kind of sad when you think about it because he was a talent. It's, you it's bittersweet. Drugs, it, you think Michael destroyed him? You know what? You know this is this is. I will tell you the story that broke Sam's heart about becoming famous. Sam was a preacher. There's an awful lot of there's an awful lot of angst and an awful lot of the questions about one of the things about being a comic is you have to have a little bit of empathy for the people that get fucked over in the world. And you also have to have an keen awareness of the incongruity, what's not fair, what doesn't fit together, what doesn't work right. That's where comedy comes from. Sam <clears throat> took his uh, faith and philosophy and theology seriously. And when Rolling Stone magazine told him, well, we're going to do a thing. We got this whole thing. We're going to concentrate on your scream and so on and so forth. And this, that, and the other thing. We're going to call you the, the beast of comedy. And Sam was like, no, no, you do not want to be known as the beast. It was deeply offensive to him uh they did the photo shoot he did the interview didn't want to didn't trust him and if you look up that uh <clears throat> rolling stone cover big white cover sam with a scarf and his long trench coat and his hat and it says the beast sam kinnison oh. it's everything they promised him that they would not do so things have always been that way with the media, with the star-making machine, with the powers that be, with all the stuff that <clears throat> I get in trouble over. But uh, I learned my lessons, and I know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's just I, I, I got back into this because the times are calling for it again. You know, the George Carlin's material is as relevant today as it was back then. As a matter of fact, if he just saw the shit that was really coming, because nobody had cell phones and nobody saw the, and AI is just around the corner, it's going to be an interesting world. And I'll tell you something else. I will tell you something else. My new material, my new inspiration and the stuff that I've been writing and trying to develop material about is... Uh, Snapchat. 
You can say what you will about kids being confused about their gender and where did that come from all of a sudden? You know anything about that app? Oh, yeah. Yep. When you got a two, three, four, five-year-old kid that with a push of a button can turn themselves into a girl, they don't know any better. They think it's real. And if they're not the fastest, strongest, athletic, well-liked, yada, yada, yada boy, I can see real easy how they can go home and make friends and spend more time with their alter ego on that phone who is a girl. And there's also that app we talked about a couple months ago where you can have an imaginary friend on the thing and so on and so forth. When you put those things in the hands of four, five, and six-year-old kids, oh, my God. You know, Shirley Temple, uh, that that was child pornography back in the day. <laughs> it was. The little stuff she had to do, put this on and dance for the whole room. <laughs> There's just a – so like I said, but anyway, that's where the stuff comes from. And the other thing I think – is there was no such thing as, you know, gender fluidity until we invented Crocs. I think those shoes are responsible for because I don't know a real man that's ever gotten laid wearing Crocs. Yeah, uh, I And if you haven't. told your dad, if I came into the room and sat down at dinner and said, Dad, today I identify as a woman, my dad would have looked at me and said, that's just a Croc. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got to take a break, my friend. Um, I right. appreciate you talking all of that stuff. We're going to take a break. And then uh, we're going to have comedian, the real John King, coming up around five o'clock. Cool. Um, that was fun. Though. I appreciate you uh, opening up about all that stuff. Hell yeah. I liked was, uh, it too. Good. All right. So hang on and we will be right back. What's going on, everybody? It is Chris Aiken back once again with another edition of the new music moment right here on the Seth Williams Show. And today I'm going to go with a band that's actually 10 years old, but still a lot of you are just now discovering if you've even discovered them yet. The band is called Dorothy, and there's a theme here. I am a huge sucker for the for the female-fronted rock bands. I love them all. I am really a big fan of of the way chick rock has formed formulated into today's world. I, I love it. And uh, this is no exception um, now, but Dorothy is actually a band as well as a person. Uh, Dorothy, the band has been around since 2013. Uh, they're based out of Los Angeles, um, but it's only been recently that they've, um, they've been getting a lot of notoriety and a lot of run. Um, their new album came out in 2022. It's called Gifts from the Holy Ghost. And uh, this was uh, this is the breakthrough record, I think, for this band. They've had a few records that are out there, but they um, they really seem to have broken through with this with this record or to be breaking through, I guess, because they're not all the way there yet. But um, they are led by uh, by Dorothy Martin, who is the uh, who is the Dorothy in the band, Dorothy, I guess. And um she rules. What a great voice. Um, I would say just 
personal opinion here, but I would say that Dorothy is very much being groomed by the industry to be the next hailstorm. Uh, really seems like the same trajectory. It's either going to be, it's either going to be Dorothy or it's going to be, um, I don't know, maybe the warning might be another one that, that could possibly fit into that category or obviously Taylor Momsen and the pretty reckless. Cause they get a lot of love. Uh, but for Dorothy, the, this new release is, I believe their third album. Um, a lot of big names uh, wrote on this thing and played on this thing. Uh, Chris Trainer, Jason Hook from Five Finger Death Punch. Um, Trevor Lukather wrote a bunch of stuff on this thing. He's uh, um, Luke Luke from Toto's son. Uh, Zach Malloy from the Nixons, and now who's becoming a quite a famous producer, uh, worked on this thing as well. Um, it's It's got great production. Chris Lord Algae uh, did the production work on it. Fantastic album, fantastic band. Um, if you like this kind of stuff, then you will definitely like this. If you're into that whole hailstorm sort of thing or evanescence or those kind of bands, then there's no doubt that you will like Dorothy. Uh, so let's check out a little bit of uh music from Dorothy. This is a song called Black Sheep. It's Dorothy from Gifts from the Holy Ghost, right here on the New Music Moment on the Seth Williams Show. All right, everybody, what'd you think of that? Good stuff, right? That once again is the band Dorothy. Uh, the name of the album is Gifts from the Holy Ghost. It is out there now. It's been out since uh, 2022. So it's been out, uh, I don't know, about a year, maybe a little longer, um, probably a little bit longer than a year, but still most people aren't hearing it. So you're hearing it. Hopefully not first time here on the Seth Williams Show, but if it is, if it is your first time, Make sure you go over to whatever streaming service you use and uh, check out the whole album. If you like it, buy it. Help these guys out, all right? And that's going to do it for this edition of the New Music Moment right here on The Seth Williams Show. Make sure you check me out on all my other stuff, whether it's Chris Aiken Presents, uh, chrisaiken.net, or uh, if you like the dirty comedy, the Howard Stern, Opie and Anthony type stuff, go over to theclassicmetalshow.com. Um, every single Saturday from 9 p.m. till 3 a.m. Eastern. It's a long show. It's dirty, but it's funny. So check it out. And like I said, that's going to do it for me for the Seth Williams show. I have been Chris Aiken. And guess what, folks? I will be again tomorrow. See ya. <laughs>
What separates Triv's restaurant in Strongsville from everybody else? Some restaurants you go to to eat the same thing over and over and over. But then there are restaurants like Triv's where you want to go there every single time and eat something different until you have eaten every single item on the menu. Why? Because the food's delicious and it has been for almost a quarter of a century. Triv's has amazing food, outstanding service, and an opportunity for you to have private dining, special events, and intimate occasions. You can enjoy a memorable fine dining experience in your own dedicated intimate space. Visit Triv's in the heart of Strongsville. Call now for reservations. 440-238-8830. Triv's in Strongsville. Joe Burdick custom flags are amazing. Each flag is handcrafted to reflect the imperfect perfection, making each piece of patriotic wall art unique. This is a local small business, veteran owned and proud. Joe Burdick creates symbolic artwork that is built to last. Display your spirit, pride, and patriotism by calling 440-305-2065 and let Joe's flag serve you. 440-305-2065. Joe Burdick Flags. Let me introduce you to Charlie's Auto Repair. Any car, any truck, any problem, Charlie's does it right. You know how it is. The check your engine light comes on, you put air in the tires, and the light is still on. 216-470-0170. That's Charlie's Auto Repair, 13728 Madison in Lakewood. Charlie can do it all, from small engine repair to fleet maintenance and system diagnostics. 216 416- 470-0170. Charlie's Auto Repair. Let Charlie make your car great once again. Right back here on the uh, Seth Williams Show with Mike Kosalka. Um, people enjoyed that last hour. So did I. Gold Mike. That was awesome, Mike. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Good segment. Like it when the show flows smoothly. There you go. Uh, we have some time, I guess. I don't know when uh, the real John King is supposed to join us here in uh, just a couple of minutes. Uh, yeah. We're coming up on 10 years, if you could believe it, of the Amanda Berry, Gina DeJesus, uh, Michelle Knight, I think she's called Lily now. Yeah. Um, Finding them in that house of horrors, if you will, with Ariel Castro. Do you believe it's been 10 years? No. I think next Monday actually is the 10 year anniversary. No. But uh, I cannot believe it's been 10 years since uh, that happened. Um, I, I, you sent that story. We mentioned the anniversary. The um, Channel 3 News. Photograph, you know, had the pictures of what they look like as teenagers. Yeah. And then pretty close to today, the young women that they've grown up to be. But I just, I could, first of all, I couldn't believe 
the fact that everybody living on that street, that there wasn't a clue. Something. I know. I thought the same thing. I mean, he would walk them around outside. Yeah. Um, having a child there and everything. I mean, you would think that there would have been something that uh, would tip some people off, but apparently not. I mean, what a horrific situation. I mean, that was just a. That's insane. That is just. So saying, I don't know anything to say that can do anything except increase the awe of the fact that something like that happened. And then like even the police set up, the one thing that was chilling when that happened was the dispatchers and the first police that were interviewed. When the word came out that the girls had been found, everybody assumed that it was their bodies that had been found. Yeah. That they were found alive was just. Uh, Yeah, it's really, really something. And then Amanda's little girl has to be within a year or two of the age she was when she first got abducted. That first report was comedy gold when uh, you said a white woman running to a black man. <laughs> it's a horrible yeah. situation. Yeah, that guy was a hell of a character. He was a hell of a character, but then you read the end of the story that was that you sent to me when we were doing show prep, where he they said their only regret was uh, that they took the girls to the police. They should have taken them to the hospital. They should have taken them somewhere, let them call in a little bit later. He says because he didn't think about it till afterwards. But what he should have done is had him and his buddies sneak into the house and wait for Ariel to come home and take him downstairs and give him a taste of his own medicine. Yeah. Why? Um, that guy, that, that was like, I mean, I, maybe we should save for next week, but I mean, we're still waiting for uh, John King. Okay. Yes or not. Uh, I got a cold, so I'm hoping he joins us soon. Um, okay. <clears throat> I don't know what happened. I feel like garbage, though. But anyways, um, the only thing that baffles me about that whole thing, now, please don't get upset when I say this, but everything just happened 10 years gone. All of a sudden, trial, house is gone, guy kills himself, everything is swept under the rug, and we don't hear about it a whole lot anymore. Right. Um, it, It was just amazing how everything kind of just happened all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we find these girls have been missing forever. Yeah. And all of a sudden, there's a trial, kind of, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the house is gone. Everything is yeah. gone. It's old news. He's dead. Everything's gone. Yeah. Uh, See, that's why, no offense taken, because I will not, I, I, I've said this on stage and probably will continue to say this on stage. That is why I am totally opposed to the death penalty because if the average age is 80 86 90 years old we should keep those people locked up every single day and let everybody parade by them with a joint and a beer getting a blowjob going we're not in here we're not that's what i would do because it's too easy and if you are going to kill the person, they should die the exact same way they killed their victims. I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, now, don't you find it odd? Do you think he actually killed himself? Do you, or do you think this is kind of like no. a setup to make no. it happen? Or what, what do you think? No, no. There's a couple people that don't do well in prison, and 
child molesters are one of them. But supposedly he was on kind of suicide watch and all. He was supposed to be watching at all times. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think. Yeah, that... <laughs> I'm with you on that one. And you, I don't know if you watched the uh, White House Correspondents Dinner, but they talked about Jerry Epstein being in Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, yeah, Jeffrey Epstein being in uh, lockdown in the most secure place in Manhattan. They got to him too. I'd say it. I'd say white on white. I don't necessarily think it was white on white. And Arrow Castro, I don't think it was. I mean, was he white? I don't know. Yeah. No. And you know what? The thing about it is, this goes back to what I was talking about it being more. Uh, the skin color is so superficial when you travel because it's just doesn't make any difference. Everybody bleeds the same, wants the same, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's what's in your so there there is evil in the world period uh, that's for sure um, there just is still no john king um we do have the oh, uh, wait a minute i'm oh, getting a call <coughs> hang on i'm getting a call i do want to revisit this i think it, yeah, I, I think it was the uh the 8th is the actual yeah. date so we'll revisit that you're on, you're on, you're on uh, streamyard <laughs> Okay, I'll tell Seth. I no, he's not. He's not the there. Phone. He claims he's there. Uh, no, he would not be there. Otherwise, I would have put him on. So that okay. Would be very I don't know. Uh, did you push the button that says "Enter the Studio"? <laughs> okay. Wait. Right. There he is. I'll see you. In there a minute. he is. Bye. So you got to hit that button that says "Enter Studio." That's what I asked him because it's a mistake I made once. All right, let's bring him on. The real yeah. John King. How are you? Bingo. Good. How you doing? Let me let me turn my phone off here so it won't uh, interrupt the uh, broadcast. Put it on airplane mode. You know what? Uh, I could only I I didn't see the enter the studio button because it was I I needed to scroll up and oh. I'm man I'm I'm old I'm not in uh, um to, uh, <laughs> I'm not familiar with a lot of this technology I'm uh, sitting here going. I know I'm supposed to be on at five, so my fault. A good <laughs> no, thing all good, I had man. my other phone so I could call and find out what was happening. You are good, all man. good, my friend. Good to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for uh, having me. You and uh, Mike are doing something cool. You guys got this charity thing that you guys are working on. Mike, go ahead. Well, um, I saw John after, jeez, uh, way too long. But yeah. we did the uh, church in Medina. Uh, last Tuesday we were there. Uh, and we figured out in the green room, uh, between everybody that was on that bill, Jay Bach and Bill Benden and, uh, Eric was there and John was there and I was there and I know I'm leaving a couple people out. I don't have the flyer sitting in front of me, but there was over 250 years of stage experience in the green room. Yep. So people saw one hell of a show. Yeah. It was fun too, man. Yeah. I let me ask you this though: you you don't get offended easily, do you? No, I never get I never get offended. I'm a stand up, been doing it for almost forty years. I ain't I? Didn't heard and seen everything. Ain't nothing. Right. Ain't nothing gonna offend me. So you were in Medina at a church. What was yep. it like being the only black guy out there? Uh, <laughs> it, didn't, it did not. It did not bother me at all. I'm gonna tell you why because. <laughs> A lot of the a lot of the shows I do are in areas like Medina, and there's no black population there. I'm the only 
black guy in the room a lot, man. So it doesn't it doesn't bother me at all. There was a there was an old line I used to do back in the day, man, where I would come out and, and it'd just be a, a big audience of white people. I I start off by saying, "Look like I'm pretty much the only chip in the cookie tonight," <laughs> and uh, it would always get a laugh. And um, that's part of connecting with your audience, man. If they if you can poke fun at yourself, then you can um, connect with them and then poke fun of other uh, people. I'm, yeah, I'm just yeah. around with you. But yeah, I, I, I have an I example of that. It. I have an example of that too. I was on a cruise and the entire ship uh, back in the day when there was no internet and stuff like that, they, everybody belonged to clubs and once a year they'd go have a party. So this ship was rented out and every passenger on the uh, cruise was a lesbian. They had said to me, try to stay in your cabin. They don't want to see a lot of men, yada, yada, yada. It's their week. And it's like, fine, I, you know, pay me to stay in my cabin. I don't care. I'll read books. Well, the first night out, the comic canceled. And I get a, a, a panic call from the cruise director going, uh, their comic didn't show up. Can you fill in tonight? And I said, yeah. And just like you said, John, about make fun of yourself build the bridge and connect with your audience. I walked out on stage and grabbed the microphone. I looked at a whole room full of women and said, you know, I was taking a shower to get ready for the show. I looked down and I saw my penis and I thought to myself, Oh my God, I have really overpacked for this cruise. Yeah. <laughs> Rest of the show went fine. Yep. Yep. Sometimes what did you know, how did you know that you were a comic, John? Because you are a comic. Some people want to be, but just like waitresses and bartenders, real comics are born, not made. When did you know? Man, you know, this 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 story goes way back, man. See, when I was in, um, I would say, grade school, junior high school, maybe, I was like always, not always, but a lot of time I was the shortest and thinnest guy in class. And I had no big brothers or big sisters that attended that school. So the uh, people that wanted to, uh, you know, show how tough they were or all the bullies, they gonna pick the easy target. And that was always me. So I found out real early that in order to, to, to not be the target, you, 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 you have to uh, somehow be in the click. So I learned how to be uh, funny because that'd yeah. keep their mind off of like punching me out or Ex or ex exclude me from the uh, clique. So then when I got in, when I got in the fifth grade, man, I, I had almost perfected being funny, man. So my fifth grade teacher said, John, you always trying to make people laugh. So we're going to give you, we're going to give you some time on Friday and you prepare whatever you want to do and, uh, you know, see if you can make the class laugh. So I did, man. I, I came to class that day, man. And um, I had me a little routine prepared and and it went over well, man. So the bug kind of hit me real early. I never really pursued comedy uh, until I was uh, working a job in Birmingham, Alabama. I was probably, I was in my late 20s and uh, a comedy club opened up in town. And I was already making co-workers laugh at work. And they yeah. said, man, you know, there's a, a comedy club in town. You ought to go, you ought to go over there and because uh, you are funny, you know, go over there and see if you could you know, get some work over there or blah, blah, you know, blah, 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 blah. So that's what I did, man. I just went over there and tried open mic night 
and it uh, went over well, and I've been hooked ever since. That was in 1984. That was in June of 1984. Wow, right about when I started. Yep. So do you uh, do more? Where, where do you play normally? Are you playing around here normally, or do you travel to do shows, or what do you do? I do uh, travel. I do limited uh, travel dates though, because dude, I'm 68 years old, and dude, <laughs> you know, being in a being in a car now for more than two or three hours, I start getting sleepy. <laughs> and uh, my and my arthritis kick in and I start getting stiff and sore and start getting claust getting claustrophobic. And I'll be like, I gotta get out this dang on car, man. So I limit I limit my um uh travel as much as possible. I try to stay uh regional, but I will go to the adjacent state. I mean I go to Indiana, West Virginia uh you know michigan uh stuff like that can kentucky but i try not to try i try not to go out too far there's a lot of there's a there's a there's a lot of stage time in northeast ohio i'm not really trying to make any serious money or be famous or or you know be on tv or the movies anything i'm just doing it for the pure fun of it right now so it's a good outlet for you just to go be funny that's that's awesome that's what that's why i love doing this show because you know yeah yeah, it's just it's fun good. for me to get on and be able to do something I love. So that, that's yeah. very cool. Yeah, it's a good outlet for me to go and be around peers, people that, you know, uh, like doing uh, comedy. And um, I, I don't have to be stuck up in the house, man. Because I retired in 2019 after about, man, after about a couple of months, man. I was like, man, I got to get the, I got to get the hell out of here. And go <laughs> so uh, I did, man. I went and started doing open mics. And I, I didn't say anything to, any, to the younger comments that I had been doing it before. I just went in and just and just uh, started writing new jokes and doing open mics, man. And then after a while, uh, I got the rust off and people were starting to offer me money. And I was like, hey, maybe I should get back in this full time and started writing more jokes, man. Started getting more offers and started working more stages. And pretty, pretty soon I was, uh, you know, I was doing some stuff locally man and making a couple of dollars and having a ton of fun doing it now did you have any influences in comedy or did you just figure out that you were a funny dude and just wanted to do it no nah, man i had a lot of influence in, in uh, comedy now uh you got to remember my age man so i'm going way back man i used to watch i used to always gravitate towards uh comedians when i was a, a kid i would grab uh gravitate towards comedy and just just about any of the performing arts music, comedy, and I used to watch a lot of uh, Red Skelton show. I love Lucy. Uh, what else? Uh, Ed, Ed Sullivan show. Richard Pryor back in the 70s had a, a show. It was short-lived. Uh, Red, Red Fox, uh, you know, just, just all of that. Anything that had anything to do with comedy, stand-up or sketch, man. I used now, to just, so Loves watching it. Some somebody has a good question. Do you, do you feel like you have to adapt your material as people become more sensitive to everything? Is it a different kind of culture now? Oh yeah, yeah, I do because my thing is it's not about me, man. It's about the it's it's about the audience because without the audience members buying them tickets and buying them drinks and buying that food, we wouldn't we wouldn't have no place to work, man. So I forget about what I want to uh, do. I mean, I I still get to do a lot of stuff that I like doing, but. I don't want anybody to come to a show and leave there going, I was offended. You know, that guy was too abrasive. You know, he stayed on sensitive subjects and, 
and uh, it made me feel guilty. I want the people to leave there saying they had a fun, man. You know, had a lot of fun, and that way they'll come back. Like you, um, do you remember any of your earliest material? You ever think back about some of the stuff that you used to do on stage that would kill back in the day and how yeah. things evolve and stuff like that? Yeah. And man, if I you can... do remember one, share one with us. Let me think, man. Um, I remember when I first got in that movie Gremlin, Gremlins was out. <laughs> and I wrote a bit about uh, uh, Gremlins. And I cringe when I see that material now, man. <laughs> 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 and uh, I'm trying to think. I was I was talking about if Gremlins would have came to my neighborhood, they wouldn't have ran us out of town. We probably would have probably would have barbecued a few of them and some some you know it, it was along <laughs> those lines, man. And and I look at it now, going um, it seemed it seemed like it was funny at the time, but uh, I, I I don't know. Because I'll be honest with you, man. The first time I went up on stage at the comedy store was like for open mic. It was amateur night. It was my first time on stage and I sucked, but it felt like home. I loved every minute of it. It was like, this is what I was born to do. I'm being on stage, holding a microphone, looking at an audience. One of the first jokes I ever did was I went to a Chinese porno film. An hour later, I was horny again. <laughs> That's good. That's still funny today. <laughs> but, you know, but that passed for like, hey, I'm a writer. Do you hey, know you when you're bombing? Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you know when you're having know. a bad night? Hell yeah. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, that's the times you know you're not bombing and they're still sitting there with their thumb up their ass, but it is hey, what hey, it man. is. Hey, man. Hey, uh, Seth. Your yeah. name's Seth, right? Yeah. 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 That's the, that's the thing about comedy especially doing it live is everything is immediate you get all you you know you you can feel the energy you can feel the the uh uh, uh you know the uh, energy from the laughter you can you uh, know whether you're doing well or whether people like you or don't like you and if a dude if a joke don't hit and you don't get no laughs you know and feel that right away <laughs> see i did radio for i i've done radio for 25 years and when you tell a joke on the radio, you don't know if anybody's laughing or not. You just right. sit there and say, well, yeah. I, I think that was yeah. funny. Yeah. <laughs> and you kind of go with it. I can imagine being on stage and staring at people would just suck if they're not any kind of reaction and are just sitting there. It does suck. It does suck, man. <laughs> I remember the first time I went on stage, I don't even know how I did. I don't even know how they react because I had so many damn beers before I went up. Um, <laughs> What had what had uh, happened was I went to the club and and I told the uh, owner that I wanted to do you know amateur night, and he said uh, all right he said go and write, go and write five minutes worth of material and come back next week. So I came back the next week, and he said all right he turned the lights on, and this was like at he told me to come like one o'clock in the afternoon. He turned the stage lights on, turned the mic on. He said all right go up and see what you do. I said well ain't no people here. He said well, I just want to see what, what kind of material you got. So I did the. Um, the uh, material that I had, which was way too uh, length, lengthy and too wordy, took forever to get to the punchline. So afterwards, he said, I, I tell you what, he said, you go back and work on it and come back in two weeks. And I was like, two weeks? I said, man, 
I I I had some co-workers that were supposed to came over because it was a Tuesday, it was the same night Amsterdam. Night, but I said they were supposed to come over and uh, see me tonight. He said, Well, how many co-workers were supposed to come? I said, 25. He said, I'll tell you what, you come back tonight at seven o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, Gutter wants to know who are your influences now, like to do your comedy. Is it other comedians, your family, friends, current events? Like what kind of stuff do you use to to do your to write comedy or do your jokes? Man, everything is potential material. I do some topical stuff. My family and friends always say stuff funny, man. And with the um, with the uh, internet, there's just so much craziness and just so much, uh, you know, material out there. Uh, just just life in general, man. Everything is potential material. There's material everywhere. Dude, I got three notebooks right now, full of jokes that I haven't even tried yet. I just every time I get a thought, I write it down. And I haven't even tried uh, the uh, jokes yet, but um, I think I got lost with even what the question was. You said who was who was like what are your influences as far as when you do write with your jokes? Like, are you using comedians, your family, friends, or current events, that kind of thing? All of, all of the above. Like, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give an example. I went to CVS uh, a couple of days ago, and I went in because I really like ice cream. You know, and it was like, I don't know, maybe nine, nine o'clock, nine thirty at night. So I went in, I go back to the ice cream case. They got a padlock on the ice cream, man. <laughs> so so you got to go and get a, a cashier to come back there with a key to unlock it to get some damn ice cream. And I come back to check out and I'm thinking, I go, man, they got the ice cream locked up, but their cashier and their cash register is right here out in the opening. I said, there got to be something funny about that, man. I'm like, what the hell does Ben and Jerry have in their ice cream? And what does haagen have a secret ingredient that they need to lock the ice cream up? I, I just don't uh, I, I just don't uh, get it. I haven't done it. I haven't tried to joke yet, but there got to be something funny there, man, to have <laughs> ice cream locked up. I mean, uh, you know, a, a $4 pint of ice cream is locked up, but you don't give a damn about your workers yeah. and your, you know, all, the <laughs> yeah, money is in, all the stuff that's worth something is in the uh, cash register. I don't see no, I don't see them in no booth. They just right out there in the opening. How'd you get hooked up with Mike for all this stuff? How did I get hooked up with Mike? Chisaka, yeah. What do you mean hooked up for? for what you mean you, uh, is it um, Mike? Part of the charity stuff? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, see, yeah, I know, uh, I know uh, Mike from back in the um, uh, day, man. We used to work some of the same rooms for some of the same agents and some of the same circuits. But I got out for I got out for a while and I wasn't in touch with a lot of people, man. But then when that when this uh, charity came along for what is it, East Palestine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I know uh, Jay Bach, so we both know Jay, and he just got a bunch of us old school dudes, man, to get together to do to do that show, which was last Tuesday. But I, I had actually talked to Mike before that. Uh, he friended me on Facebook, and, and we corresponded back and forth. And um, so, but that was the first, um, last Tuesday was the first time we had actually seen each other, been in the same, same place for a long, long, long time. Yeah. And it's you, basically the same story uh, John was talking about when he decided to get back into it. You know, I see him on Facebook and on some of the comedy sites and he's really active from here to Youngstown and back again, hosting shows and, Oh, you know, headlining shows and stuff like that. So it's like, I I don't know any of the people he knows, and those are the people that can make me work again. 
So yeah. I friended him. We first time I've seen him last week in God, at least 20 years. Yeah, and, and I said, uh, I'm and I looking said, for- and I said I, I sent Michael some uh, contacts and some uh, names and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the uh key for me, Mike, was I just said I work wherever I can get on the stage, whether it's for money or or not money. Gotcha. And I said, I don't care what position it is. If they want me to host, I host. If they right. want me to do a guest spot or feature spot or headline spot, I really don't care. At this point, I just want to get on stage and make people laugh. I don't care what I don't care what position it is. I got no no <clears throat> ego. I ain't chasing no dreams. I'm doing it purely for the fun of it and to be around people. And these and I could uh, suck the energy from some of these younger people because Lord knows I need some need it. You know. So, that's, you have any more dates coming up? Yeah, I got I got quite a few uh, dates uh, coming up. How do people check you out? They can uh, check me out on Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube. Uh, man, I'm I'm uh, the real John King. I'm, I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm the real John King on Instagram. I'm real John King. Uh, comedian on YouTube, and I'm John W. King on Facebook. Is there another John King? King? There's a lot of John Kings, man. When I go to my bank, they have to get my phone number or address to look me up because there's so many damn John Kings that's banking with them. It just, just, just clear across the country, man. Everywhere I go, John King is a very popular name. So. I got to name the real John King from a guy named John King when I was working a day job in Birmingham. He used to come in the break room because I was employed there first. So he would come in the back uh, the uh, break room and he'd go, now there go the real John King right there. So when I started doing amateur night, the MC said, how you want to be introduced? I say, uh, well, everybody called me the real John King. So that's cool. So the work. name just uh, stuck. Now, I told you coming on and stuff like that, that don't be shy and go ahead and toot your own horn. You got some shows coming up. A lot of people listening. Let them know where they can come check you out. And here's some of that stuff we're talking about. Oh, you know what? Where, where's my schedule at? Hold on for one second. I'm going to drop the camera for one second. Hold on. While well, he's looking go. for the schedule, go to thewaystationinc.org. Thewaystationinc.org. You can uh, donate there uh, yeah. to the people of East Palestine. And then uh, get yourself your receipt. And that gets you into these comedy shows on Tuesday night. Next Tuesday... I think the ninth, he said, right? The ninth yeah. is going to be at the uh, Funny Stop in Cuyahoga Falls. Right. Uh, so, t- uh, next Tuesday, the second is uh, Crackpots. Right. Tomorrow? In, uh, tomorrow's Crackpots? Tomorrow's Crackpots, and then next week is Funny Stop. Where's Crackpots? Crackpots is in Maslin. Camp. Maslin. Maslin. Okay. So Crackpots in Maslin tomorrow, and then uh, next Tuesday, Cuyahoga Falls, the Funny Stop. Funny Stop, yep. Yeah, right. and for and for me... Uh, Seth, I don't know if you know, if, I don't know if you read my bio, but I'm also a musician. Nice. Yeah, so I play harmonica, and um, I'm actually going to be doing a, a music gig on the 5th in Strongsville. It's called the Market District. Uh, oh, yeah, I play, yeah. I play with a um, another guy that plays lead guitar. We are a blues duo. It's called a Parker King Blues Duo. That's on the 5th. The 12th and 13th, I'll be doing the, um, I'll, I'll be doing the Funny Farm. And in on the twentieth of this month, I'll be in Wilmington, which is right outside of Chicago, a place called Tuffy's. That's on the twentieth. The twenty fifth, I'll be in Willowick doing Bar Bar Farno, 
And then on the 27th, I'll be doing Dayton. That's what I got in May. Then I got some more stuff in uh, June. I don't know if you want me to plug that or not. Man, you're all over the place. That's good. Yeah, he is. That's yeah. awesome. And and like I said, we're friends, and I keep up with where John's at and this, that, and the other thing. So anybody wants to email, just email the show, guys, and I'll let you know. I'll find out where John's at and let you know, too. I'm going to do something um, because I'm motivated, spur of the moment, is what it is, what it is. Are you anywhere close to a harmonica? You got one within arm's reach? I do not. I got yeah. I probably got a hundred of them, but they're all downstairs. We'll get them on another time. We'll play some harmonica. Yeah, we'll bring on awesome. another time for that. Yeah. I was going to have you play yourself out, but that's okay. I would have been, been more than happy to do that, but I'm up in my bedroom right now, and I don't have any harmonicas up here. Okay. I did. Yeah. I you I play did. a different instrument upstairs, huh? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I've been putting in, uh, hey Mike, I've been solo artist upstairs. He I'll only be, plays I'll, one other partner, right? I'll be putting in. I'll be putting in that work too, brother. Are, are you married? <laughs> I am married. So you're I'm, definitely a solo artist, then. Yeah, we right. understand. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been married for forty years. You definitely Same. are a solo artist at this point. Yes. Same okay. woman. <laughs> well, congratulations on that, though. That's very cool, and and thank you for uh, being part of this charity. I know the people of East Palestine appreciate it, and I know that uh, you guys have been doing some great shows, and so uh, thank you for doing that, my friend. Hey, thank you all for having me, man. It was a lot of fun. Thank Absolutely. you. Yep. Um, we do appreciate it, and then we'll have you on again to play the uh, harmonica at some point. So Yeah, definitely. I'd be more than happy to come back and do it again. Beautiful. Right. Um, thank you. The Thanks, real John, John King. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank Good you. Night, buddy. Uh, he seems like a very cool guy. Love doing Yes. I'm going to get out of here in a couple minutes because I do want to – I'm not feeling all that great, but I do want to hit the Browns real quick. Sure. Um, should we take a break first? Or Yeah, let's take a break. Take a break real quick. We'll talk about the Browns real quick, and uh, we'll be right back. All right. Hey, it's Seth from Mario's Barbershop in Parma, 7526 Broadview Road in the Pleasant Valley Shopping Center right next to Big Lots. You got to check out Mario, man. Great guy, does a lot for charities, but can perform miracles with hair. He even made me look clean cut. Does my hair. Does a great job. Love talking to the guy while I'm sitting there. It's a great place to go. Local business. You gotta go to Mario's Barbershop in Parma. Mario's Barbershop in Parma. 7526 Broadview Road. Again, in Parma. Pleasant Valley Shopping Center. Right next to Big Lots. Or give him a call. 216-520-1977. That's 216-520-1977. Mario's Barbershop in Parma. Trust Joe's Lakewood Computer at 14035 Madison in Lakewood. They have over 30 years of professional service handling laptop and desktop repair services, virus removal, and data migration, and much more. You can trust them with hardware updates to your computer's memory and hard drive. Call 216-651-3880. Whether you need a simple Windows install or you're interested in the latest computers for gaming, call Joe's Lakewood Computer at 216-651-3880.
This is Tim Elkhorn, radio voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers for attorney Will Spiegelberg. Will Spiegelberg is not only a name you know, he's someone you can trust as your attorney no matter the circumstance. Will Spiegelberg is an attorney you can always count on. Will Spiegelberg is the attorney you should contact for all your legal work. When you need an attorney, call Will Spiegelberg at 216-233-4240. Attorney Will Spiegelberg, a great teammate. 216-233-4240. All right, back here on the Seth Williams Show with Mike Dusoka. Talking about the Browns real quick. Uh, Browns had their draft. Of course, no first-round picks. No no second-round either. round picks. <laughs> so uh, they got a bunch of other stuff. Um, and didn't they trade like a six for something for, yeah, something for a six-round pick next round. year? Yeah, they got a six-round pick for next year from uh, Jesus Baltimore. Um, before we get into the actual names, one of the interesting articles I saw talking about the Browns was there was one theme to this year's Browns draft, and that was size. They started out and took a receiver who was 6'3", and uh, Cedric Tillman out of Tennessee – and then they took a defensive lineman who's 6'3", 335. Okay, the, the Tennessee pick, I'm going to go through these kind of quick because, you know, yeah. it's really great. Um, the Tennessee pick, I, I didn't really understand it. I mean, they, the, the receiver they should have got went the pick before uh, from Tennessee. They picked a guy that got hurt, and uh, who knows how this, you know, surgery went or how this thing is going to actually pan out. Uh, hopefully it pans out okay. It looks like he could have some talent, but again, why you're picking somebody that has a history of injuries, and when you need a guy like that, and it's kind of a receiver. Um, they had these guys out for one-on-one visits, and this guy is also was a high school teammate of the quarterback from UCLA that they picked for developmental reasons too. Now that guy again, I don't understand. Was it yeah. Denard Robinson or whatever? Right. I think they're not looking to the draft for starters. They're looking for guys that they can keep on the bench and let them learn for a couple of years and develop into good pros. Now, we haven't had that luxury before. I guess. Looking to try, we're like the Dutch boy trying to plug holes in the dike with 11 holes yeah. and 10 fingers. Um, I, uh, we got I, the I, largest I, human being on the face of the earth uh, that uh, tackle out of Ohio State in the fourth uh, round. They came in. He's six foot eight. Dewan Jones is a projected right tackle who comes in, who will show up at six eight and three hundred and seventy four pounds. That's a big boy. That's yeah. that's huge. That is just huge. They they uh, see happens there, Chris. Drafted another guy that's six four two seventy four. I mean, these are uh, they one of the free agents they signed is six three and three twenty five. Now, I picked a quarterback. I saw a bunch of UCLA games, and look, the kid has some flashes of talent. Yeah. Uh, but you paid a billion dollars, basically, for the, the Deshaun Watson. Um, what are you doing? I mean, I guess you need somebody as a backup if he gets hurt. See, I don't know what's going on with this team. But is he going to be a quarterback, or is he going to be something else? This guy uh, um, that they has been and worked out and gone to Cumble of the Camps and trained with Deshaun Watson already. So the the way these guys all know each other, how about the fact that they picked four guys from Ohio State? 
They haven't picked four guys from Ohio State the previous 10 years. Yeah, but you can't really go wrong, I guess, with Ohio State guys. I mean, well, yeah, I'm not saying so, everybody's going to be a star, but it's just if, that they all know each other. The guy they that played, they from Northwestern knows Greg Newsom. They played together. If they played Detroit Lions, they're probably going to lose because apparently Ohio State can't beat Michigan at this point. So <laughs> hopefully the Lions aren't on the schedule. No, but you know what is on the schedule, coincidentally? Who did Aaron Rodgers get traded to? Uh, the Jets. Yes, and guess who the Browns play at the Hall of Fame game in Canton? The Jets? Yes. Thursday, uh, uh, Thursday, September 21st. Look, I like Aaron Rodgers. He seems to be kind of like a prima donna kind of guy. I didn't think he was going to be that when he started. Yeah. Uh, But it seems that way. I think he's gotten caught up in the Hollywood lifestyle, having – you know, all these celebrity women that he dates and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And so, you know, again, concentrate on football. Football careers aren't very long. No. Concentrate on a damn game for a little while, and then you can have sex with whoever you want to have sex with. I, I think you it's kind whatever of Whatever massages you want to get after you're done with football. Thank you. <laughs> I think they're trying something different this year. Have you heard that they're opening training camp up at the Greenbrier Hotel in West Virginia? Good for them. The first two weeks of camp are going to be in the West Virginia mountains away from everybody else, family, friends, entourage. Uh, And if they do, they want to do the team a favor, they'll collect everybody's cell phones and just have them concentrate on learning how to play football. See, I I heard that they were opening camp at the Sunny Massage Parlor down in uh, Strongsville. Yeah. Well, I've said before, and I'll say it again, this year, Deshaun Watson has to play with a chip on his shoulder. He has to play like a man who's been rubbed the wrong way. Uh, you always need a backup QB. The wide receiver pick is sensible because they really only have two reliable pass catchers. Look, I'm not saying that the wide receiver, we didn't need a wide receiver. What I'm saying is, is that I wish, I mean, obviously the guy that I wanted was picked before the guy that we yeah. got, but there wasn't anybody out there that doesn't have a history of injury problems or have a major injury problem where you had to have surgery or whatever. Uh, that that just worries me a little bit. Yeah. It's a crapshoot. You know, yeah. these, all these mock drafts come out for months and months and months. As soon as the Super Bowl's over, all the mock drafts come out. And it, if you line up everybody who's a draft expert and getting hundreds of thousands of dollars for being a draft expert, they're lucky if they guessed six people yeah. that well, went to the team they said they were going to go to in the round they said they were going to go to. I mean, Mel Kuyper had that... Uh... Levis kid from Kentucky, all the way up the, the yeah, he's one of the top four players in right, the draft. He's supposed to go number four to Indianapolis, and what he go day two to somebody? Yeah, day two he ends up getting picked. Um, I think the Titans picked him up. Yeah, uh, but uh, so you never know what these. I mean, these guys, what these guys that predict these drafts are like the weather guys. They say oh, what the hell yeah. they want to say. They yeah. can pull out a few highlights of this kid doing something great, and right. then they try to predict what they're going to be like in the NFL. Most of the time, yeah. they suck. And you can really pick out the ones that are supposed to be great. I could pick out the ones that are supposed to be great right. and end up doing a decent job. Yeah. Um, yeah, Mel Kuypers, those kind of guys, whatever. I don't trust anything they say. They're as good as the weather girl on 19. It's way hot, but still. Uh, cuts are going to be crazy this year. All cut players will be cut on the same day. You'll see roster chaos that day. Exactly. There's good news and bad news of that. They get two weeks longer to look at the players, but then they all have to go overnight. That's just insane. 
And I wonder if some of that is to really mess with the other football leagues. I, yeah, I mean, there's so many out there right now. <laughs> That's the other thing. Is that when is the still the Golden Goose? Which is, is the USFL and and the XFL are those going to become like the training grounds maybe for who knows? Could it be the, the G League of the NFL? Well, you never know, right? Yeah, well, I'll tell you one thing. I am tired of, and this pissed me off during the playoffs and during the second half, the last few weeks of the Cavaliers season, and it's going to be even worse on football and they do it in baseball. I don't need to be reminded what all the odds are during the game and how the odds have changed and how there's still time to place a bet because Cleveland was uh, favored by five points, uh, but now they're, you know, uh, now they're four point dogs. So if you want to move your money around, go right ahead. This thing with gambling, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't like it. I don't need it. And, uh, it's only going to get worse. Yeah, I, uh, I'm over the gambling thing. I uh, didn't even. I don't think I. I don't remember. I can't remember if I even paid for my fantasy football last year. So, whatever. I, yeah, I'm kind of done with that. Uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think yeah, it's a, it's a draft for the Browns. Yeah, training the rookie camps. What in a couple weeks? So it's time, folks. Just think. You know, maybe we get a couple sunny days because pretty soon it'll be football season. It'll be cold again. Yep. Well, I, I appreciate uh, the show tonight. Good job, Mike. Thank you. You too, Seth. Uh, thanks to the real John King for joining us. Wednesday night, Tony Masashi will be live from somewhere. We'll see. Uh, I'm sure he's chowing down on something great that we won't be a part of. No kidding. Uh, but we'll have a good time. Thanks for uh, everybody joining us this evening. Much appreciated. Don't forget, you can listen to the show again because it's podcast everywhere. And uh, God willing, we'll talk to you Wednesday night. All right, feel better. I'll see you Wednesday, bro. Appreciate it. Thank you.